daily podcast on the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Guys, how are everybody doing this evening? I told you I had one more special guest here this week, and obviously we have him in now, sneaking him in now. Off to London, part of the uh, the Around the NFL Podcast, NFL Network. Uh, he's joining us once again, Mr. Mark Sessler. Mark, how is everything going? Things are good. You know, I, I think, as you know, you get through this month of August is crazy. There's games almost every night, uh, transactions and news, and it's almost inviting to have the season, the regular season hit, because each of those weeks have that kind of biorhythm. But August has been nuts, and it's been enjoyable, too. I think there's so many intriguing young new players in the league, especially at the quarterback position right now, that it's been, for me, one of the more entertaining preseasons to watch in a while. Yeah, and it's uh, obviously, you know, with Cleveland, obviously with the number one overall pick, you know, they've been a, you know, national game every week. You know, obviously the hard knocks influence there as well, all the changes. We're going to get at in a little bit. Um, Mark, before we get to the Browns, which is, of course, why I brought you on here, uh, the league this year, uh, what are some of the things, the biggest storylines you're looking forward? And I got to be honest, like, I'm sitting down day in, day out, trying to come up with six playoff teams from each division. It's just an impossible task. I mean, granted, it's August, and maybe everybody looks kind of good, and injuries will kind of pick the pace of it but but there's a lot a lot of good teams this year there is and one thing like i i just had to make picks too and I've gotten comfortable with the knowledge that I will be probably 90% wrong and just rolling with that. But you're so right in the NFC. Like, I, I think one of the big storylines is this NFC. It, it's, a hard, it's hard to go back in time and remember when one conference was so loaded with so many not just good teams, but teams that could be good for a while. That seems set for not just a one-year kind of flash-in-the-pan Super Bowl run, but a continued um, effort to get there over the next couple seasons. And it's like you look at that NFC because if you look through the standings from last year, it's almost identical to the AFC. You had a couple of 13 and 3 teams in both conferences and some 10 and 6 teams, but it's that NFC South with the Saints, yep. the Panthers, and the Falcons, where it's just, it's going to be, the way the schedule plays out, you're going to have these big, massive division matchups every week, but then you extend out to those teams playing the Vikings, the Eagles, you know, the Rams, and we still don't know what's going to become of a team like the, the 49ers, the Jimmy Garoppolo there. Um, will Seattle truly uh, fade away, or will they find a way to, you know, uh, behind, the, behind Russell Wilson, stay in, stay in that whole thing, and the Bears are a team on the rise. The NFC, to me, just does not have a team that isn't intriguing because even if you look at the worst record from last year, the Giants, I mean, you've got a lot. You've got Saquon Barkley there. You've got a lot of weapons on offense. So I just think the NFC is going to be the top storyline week after week after week, and it's going to be up to a couple teams in the AFC to rise above what people think they're at right now to make that conference, I think, as competitive. Yeah, I think two points that you grade up. The, the NFC South I'm 100% with, and somebody was arguing with me today, you know, that the Jets didn't really get such a great return. Look, you got Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, well, it's going to be the 63rd or the 64th. I mean, it's going to be the 95th or the 96th pick. You have no way of knowing that. I mean, the Saints, I mean, it, it may sound crazy to say they could finish third in the NFC South. That pick could easily, you know, be in the 80s, something of that nature. The Giants, Saquon Barkley, a full season of Odell Beckham Jr., who is happy now. And that might be a very, very scary thought for the rest of the league. And now with a new, you know, with a, with a lot of new pieces on an offensive line, 
they could be due for a turnaround. You know, with Philly, Carson Wentz is going to be there from the start. Nick Foles struggled Thursday night. I think everybody just thought Nick Foles, it was just, you know, like he's going to continue to walk on water and maybe forget the fact that there were times in Nick Foles' struggle in his career where he struggled and almost contemplated retirement. That's a little bit more the guy you saw Thursday night. So could Philly come back to the pack a little bit just because, you know, they were so dynamic last year? Maybe they aren't this year. But I do agree 100%. The NFC is going to be a fun, fun thing to watch. And there's going to be some teams with some really good records that are sitting there in January going, man, I don't understand how I'm on my couch right now. Absolutely. I mean, and I, you make a great point about the Eagles because the thing is that NFC East, you often think you know who the team is going in, and then by week 10 or 11, it's a completely mishmashed, you know, dogfight. Absolutely. And, I mean, the Eagles have some injury issues. Alshon Jeffrey looks like he'll miss the first couple weeks. They have the Falcons right out of the gate. And, you know, that division is such such one of momentum where it's it's tough to kind of climb back in. I, I really think that um, if they can get Wentz back in, in a short amount of time, that they'll be fine. Because one, one dynamic I kind of observe year after year, and I fall for it myself, is that there's so much emphasis put on the first one, two, three, four games of the year, really that first frame of the season, when, when do we really learn, when are these great teams defined? It's typically sort of after Halloween. Everyone can suffer a couple losses, and you can get through some early season suspensions and stuff. But, I mean, for me, I look at the Saints, for instance, like they lose Mark Ingram for four weeks for a PET ban. That sometimes is great for a running back to come back with fresh legs in week five or six and just be hammering teams. You, you never know when something like that is a blessing in disguise, to be honest. And secondly, just that the real the first weeks one through four are so forgettable by the time you get to Thanksgiving and beyond that a lot of mistakes and sins can be made up for um, for some of these teams to get out to a little bit of a slower start. Maybe it would be the Eagles this time around. Yeah, um, Mark, uh, my auction salary league, uh, salary league draft is on Monday. I was hoping you weren't going to bring up Mark Ingram. I'm trying to keep that one under the wraps here. Sorry. <laughs> Cut that part out of the show. Yeah, so maybe I can just kind of sneak through September with him, maybe at a single dollar, singer dollar amount, because uh, everybody in this league, they never keep running backs, and they kept running backs this year on me, and I'm a little upset about it because I got money I to spend, you. and I got to spend it I almost all on Barkley. So it was weird how that worked out. Guys, you listen to Locked On Browns, Mark Sessler from NFL Network, and uh, you know, obviously, the uh, Around the NFL podcast is joining us here. Uh, we just talked about some early season storylines league-wise, but my Browns fans, I know why you want you know, Mark here. We're going to talk some Browns. We'll get right to that. Guys, Locked On NFL, Matt Williamson does a fantastic job of the show. It's going to be a killer lineup this week. Us Locked On guys on Mondays, then guys from PFF, Sage Rosenfels, then guys from ESPN. It's going to be a killer lineup, so make sure you're checking out Matt and the shows that he's got going on on, Lock, on Locked On NFL. Now, Mark, last we spoke, the new front office was established, and I actually went back and actually checked the date. We spoke the Monday before, so the new front office was intact, the coaching staff, you know, the adjustment that was made there, and then that Friday hit, and Tyrod Taylor was acquired, and Jarvis Landry was acquired, and and, uh, Demarius Randall was acquired. I think a lot of it was is they wanted to get some guys in here trade-wise so they could at least, you know, attract some free agents. But, you know, John Dorsey, I mean, he went right to work right out the gate. He did. And, you know, I guess from one angle, I I viewed it as an utter indictment of what he inherited. And, I mean, he verbalized that. He he overspoke, I think, to say there was just no talent on the roster because we know now that there was. And there are some young players that he inherited that I think have bright futures in Cleveland. But it was definitely, couldn't agree more, a, a locker room issue as well. You know, there were grumblings 
it, it, later on in last year when they were 0-11, 0-12, that the team, especially when there's, there were such young players, didn't quite grasp the gravity of that situation and maybe were not taking it as seriously as they should. And that is a reflection on coaching to some degree, but it was also a reflection of a, a void of veteran leadership in that, in that room. And I think that you look at what Tyrod Taylor has come and done just from the time he arrived until what, through what we've seen on Hard Knocks, for instance, that that whole quarterback room, which really has lacked that type of a leader for a long time. There have been a lot of young players, a lot of sort of journeymen and dudes who are older just trying to hang on the roster themselves. That Tyrod Taylor, and I give the coaching staff credit, uh, you could say that maybe this should have been more of a competition, and we're going to see Baker Mayfield at some point, no doubt, and I could see it happening this season, even sooner than later. But they really there's been no quarterback drama because of his presence and how quickly he was received by the, by the other players on the team. I think they just see his work ethic ahead of anything else. That's not been true of a lot of past Browns quarterbacks. And it was a good tone setting trade that said, listen, we're not going to roll into this season with, cause you didn't know you're going to get Baker Mayfield back then, or you didn't know who you were going to land with that first pick. You had your choice, but no one knew that it was going to be a home run type player that we're not going to go in to another season with sheer chaos under center. And of all the moves they made that, that's the one that I really felt like had the most calming presence uh, on, in this locker room, and you've seen it play out. I just think it's a different. There's a different level of confidence and a little. They always want to build and make this culture change. That's just not easy to do until wins come. But before the regular season, they've done about as much as they can by adding him. He's been a big part of it, and I think it's an understated addition around the NFL for sure. I think, well, the first thing is for those guys in the locker room, and when you brought up, you know, you know, the coaching and, you know, maybe these younger guys weren't doing what they do, but a culture of losing, you know, what does it do? It breeds losers. Now, when you bring in guys and look, you know, whatever you want to say about Tyrod Taylor or not, or even how, Tyrod Taylor started a playoff game last year. Cleveland, I, I'll give you the trivia question. When was the last time somebody started a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in a, in a playoff game? So that right off the bat. Um... We'll get to Baker here in a minute. The Jarvis Landry, uh, the only thing that I just wanted fans to kind of calm their expectations just from the fact of everybody got so excited and they wanted to put him in the echelon of, you know, the Odells and the Julios. And, and it got, you know, I know he's getting paid a chunk of change. And look, it was a good position for him to go to because he can get a paid a chunk of change and he doesn't have to be the 1,600-yard, 15-TD guy like some of these guys can, you know are capable of being. But I, I will say that I, I definitely started to waver right away from Hard Knocks, where Jarvis Landry just sat up there and spoke, and and when he just spoke his mind on how it's going to be different and it's going to be professional, and you know I don't even care if the whole head coach says we can have days off. There's not going to be days off. I think that just did so much for our roster, and even if it was the wide receiver room, obviously these guys are watching the show. Obviously these guys are close. They know what Jarvis said, and I think it it wrong with the entire 90 guys in camp. No doubt, and I think that message was a heat-seeking laser right into the being of, you know, essentially Corey Coleman, because I think that Corey Coleman was hanging out there for a season plus as a guy that the coaching staff, and it was, so, it was, it was verbalized and touched on so perfectly by Todd Haley. I mean, this guy just wasn't getting it, and he's no lock to make Buffalo's roster right now. And I think that if you're Jarvis Landry and you come in and you see certain young players with a lot of potential not doing the right things, and it wasn't just him, it wasn't just Corey Coleman, there were others that it's like, we're going to call this out right away, and if 
you can't get on board, you should not be on this team. I think it, that's just been missing. They, this was the right year for them to be on Hard Knocks because it had it been a year previous or even one before, you would have seen that leadership void. And it's like you can't ask rookies to be the leaders all the time. I mean, you even have some of that with this team too. I see that in Baker Mayfield. But you're absolutely point on with the Jarvis Landry came in. And I think that message, now some could say, was that fabricated to some degree for Hard Knocks. We know that's going to be there. Like Jarvis Landry knowing that that would become a thing. I don't think so. I think that, you know, it's funny. I was at a Chargers-Dolphins game really early last season, and the Dolphins won, and I'll never forget being down on the field and watching Landry. He had, a, he had something to do with that win. Coming off the field, absolutely fired up. I have not seen too many players live with that kind of intensity, and he was just so in the moment that it stuck with me. And so it's kind of when the minute they, they made that move to get him, I thought about that, and it's like that's the guy we're seeing on hard knocks too. And I think part of it is containing some of that emotion at times and channeling that leadership, but they have these guys now that can wake up these position rooms when they start to drift off and fall asleep. Uh, yeah, and it's a great, you know, and for me, you know, I know how tight he is with Odell Beckham Jr., and for everything I see with Odell here, obviously, you know, guys, I'm in New Jersey, so as much as I see Odell here, I think that's the one thing that gets misconstrued. People don't see, you know, people, you know, paint a picture of a guy and don't think he's a leader. Odell Beckham, and I remember it his rookie year, it was a 4th and 13, he got like 11 Game was over. It basically turned the ball over for the game. He tossed his helmet. Everybody, oh, he's such a dis... No, he was that pissed that he didn't get the job done because he's the one telling everybody else, you got to do everything you can. And you either have that or you don't. Um, look, Miles Garrett, as great of a player as he's going to be, I'm not sure that's just the way he's wired. I mean, he's a fantastic player, but he's definitely into a lot of different things when he's off the field. You get 100% of him as far as a football player. But you know whether you can lead others or and you can talk the talk and others are going to f- walk the walk after you talk the talk, you, you either have it or you don't. And that's certainly something, and you, as you mentioned, this is something this team is extremely void of. Yeah, absolutely. And I, there are different types of, of leaders, and Miles Garrett is going to continue. Um, I mean, I can't think of anyone I'm more impressed with on Cleveland's roster at this point in the preseason it's just been unbelievable to watch his growth and it it just makes you wonder how what he can achieve this season because I don't think something like defensive player of the year is out of reach at all I think it very much is in reach for him if he continues and you know on a healthy pace and he's a quieter leader he's a different type of guy and it's all right to have them too you can't all be Jarvis Landry's but it you know it is I I agree with your point about Odell that like one thing that you want to see with Odell is when he got that contract extension they had footage and you know Instagram stories and stuff coming out of the Giants locker room showing his teammates utterly elated for him and it's like wow wait you're not making this money your teammate is he's suddenly so much wealthier than you could ever imagine to be they loved him they seem to really draw I I think it tells you that what we're seeing on the outside about these players and often these coaches too is is removed from the reality of who they are how tight they are how hard they work and it's easy even to take a guy like Hugh Jackson and just shred him and critique him left and right we get that he's 1 in 31 but what some of these guys go through on the day to Day behind the scenes, we will never know. And there is, there is, and it sounds cliche, but there is a legit brotherhood because any one of these careers could end at any moment. And when I, I do think that when you're Jarvis Lander, you're taking that leadership role. And these young players, it's the ones that will listen and respond and change the way that they play and prepare that will change the Browns. The others will be gone because I think the one culture change also, and we saw it right away when Kenny Britt was cut free 
by John Dorsey. The minute he got there, I mean, it was like minutes after he arrived, a guy like Kenny Britt was sent out the door. It's like, we're just simply not going to accept certain types of players that are not here for the Browns first. That's a night. That's something you're watching other teams around the league operate that way. And Cleveland did not for a long time. That's changing. And it was actually funny that you brought up the Brit because everybody was all over every Josh Gordon movement back to practice. And there was, it was the end of the wide receiver drill. Josh went second to last and you just saw bing, bang, boom, everything perfect. And Kenny Britt, it, it was almost like, you know, could you pay me a couple more dollars? Maybe I'll give it an effort. And you know what? As soon as John, John Dorsey saw, I mean, they probably didn't even have his parking place painted yet. You, no. you can grab your crap and you can get the heck out of my door and you're out of here. Uh, now, we're going to move on, Mark. Last we talked, obviously, you know, we, we did speak on picks one and four. Uh, I, I know I probably mentioned they were going to take Sam Darnold. I know I said I would have taken Josh Rosen. They went ahead and uh, went ahead and selected Baker Mayfield at one overall. Yeah, I, I probably would have said something similar just because around the time that we were speaking, I mean, early in the process, I remember being at the Combine and hearing that Cleveland's plan, this was something that someone told me, was that their plan was to take Darnold, uh, number one, and then maybe drop down a little bit in the first and take Lamar Jackson with the second pick so that they absolutely would have no – they cover all their bases. You get two quarterbacks if you need. Now, it sounded a little crazy to me, but then they went out and got Tyrod Taylor, and I thought, well, obviously they're going to do something else with that number four. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought, oh, it's going to be Bradley Chubb. It's just you pencil him right there and you roll – and they went with Denzel Ward. Now, I would say this. They're both equally valuable positions if they are, if you're going to get an all-pro player. An all-pro cornerback is something the Browns, you know, outside of earlier, earlier years by Joe Hayden, they haven't had a guy like that in a while. And it's critical in this division that they're into. There are incredible pass catchers throughout the AFC, too. I mean, Antonio Brown, who's going to deal with Antonio Brown for the next three, four years? I mean, you've got to find that guy. You can't get torched by him 180 yards and two touchdowns every time you roll up against the Steelers. So I have no problem with the pick at number four, and I grew to love Baker Mayfield more and more um, as they made the pick, but then after. And I think that one thing they talked about, and we're seeing it in hard knocks, that entire front office, I think Scott McLuhan, his, his role in that draft process had a lot to do with this. They fell really, really hard for the neck up and what Baker Mayfield brought from the person and the preparation, the passion, and the all-in-ness for football, which has been so missing on some of these other players they picked at the quarterback position. And it's really, it's really impressive to see that they were probably able to shift off of early impressions of who they would take to take Mayfield and then to find it on hard knocks and just to see in general and watch him in games. It's, it's someone that looks like from just at this point standing right here right now that the pick has paid off correctly, that they found the right kind of quarterback for a Cleveland team. I don't know if the other five rookie guys would have all been that type of personality match. He just seems perfectly paired with the Browns. And the, the Browns fan in me from, you know, sixth grade, 1986, is excited about that because it's not really, they haven't found that combination since 1999, since Bernie Kosar, I guess you could say potentially since Vinny Testaverde, maybe for one brief moment with the last guy that did start that playoff game, Kelly Holcomb, but there just mm-hmm. has been, it's been so few and far between. And it's, it's about time, and, and you can only hope that they give him a chance to, uh, 
to really, when it's his opportunity, I would love to see him then just stick with him through thick and thin. It's going to take time, but I, it's, a, it's one of the most promising draft picks of the entire crew. I mean, I really think they got the right quarterback for them, and I'm gushing at this point because watching him play, it's just like, wow. I've, I always see this on the field against Cleveland, not in Cleveland's huddle. Yeah, well, the first thing I'm going to say is exactly what you're saying with Baker was it stood right out in the Giant game because the play ended, and he was literally eyes on the sideline like, let's go, let's go. Like, you know, I know you guys run 60 plays a game here. I'm used to 90. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I mean, we, we did that We did that job. Let's get to the next task. Um, what I've been saying to everyone, and, you know, I've made my case felt of, you know, the way I would have went, I think they saw a 23-year-old man versus a bunch of 21-year-old kids, redshirt sophomores, juniors, and they had some warts. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, the knock you had on Baker, pretty much for everybody, I mean, for anybody who wanted to use the Manziel references, look, if you're still out there, just just bury yourselves. It's That, that one's completely over. But I think right. it was the size thing. Um, you know, Baker was 23. Everything Baker Mayfield was going through the draft process, there was nothing you said, oh, well, we really need to do... Tweak, the, you know, Darnold, it was, you know, the fumbling, it was the arm angle, it was, you know, the footwork. You know, Josh Rosen, you know, had questions of, you know, is he going to be ready to go to a major city and deal with all of this? Because he, you know, likes to, you know, make his own comments and stand his own ground, which is tough to do when you're the face of the franchise as a quarterback. You know, Josh Allen, you know, he throws 100 miles an hour, that's great, but can you throw a changeup when you need to? You know, Lamar Jackson, it was going to be, look... You know, stay more as a passer. It's great that you can run for 150 yards a game, but in the NFL, you know, we've seen that with Robert Griffin. You need to be able to throw the ball more, stay in the pocket more. It's great that you're an athlete. So those are questions with all of those guys. I think they just figured Baker was the safest product, and it was the right guy for them. And you know, I'll I'll eat crow on the decision because it certainly looks like the right one now. Um, and you know, actually, you know, finally got to see some first team reps Thursday night. You know, there's a lot equivalent of that. Yeah, I think he should see some first team reps. It should be what it is. Obviously, I always want my backup quarterback ready, but that's a story for another day. The Denzel Ward selection, uh, it was just a little odd for me. I mean, if you're going to go cornerback that high, I want a Dion type of return of investment. Um, he may turn out to be a fine cornerback for this franchise for a long, long time. I thought it was a good corner cornerback group, so I don't know if I would have necessarily made that pick. So it was just tough the way that one worked out. But, you know, look, I, I think Denzel Ward, and even if it's not Antonio Brown, I think the, Denzel Ward is going to be able to shut down or go toe-to-toe with a Juju Smith-Schuster where you can put two guys in the attention you need to on a guy like Antonio Brown, at, you know, just to at least get going. I mean, I don't want to throw Denzel Ward out there week one on a guy like Antonio Brown. No, and I mean, Antonio Brown, to be fair, fries teams across the league week to week. And it's not, it's not just Cleveland's, uh, you know, task to go figure out how to solve them. And there are other ways to, you know, defend against that team in general. Uh, I, I, I'm with you in the sense that I, I just thought it would be Bradley Chubb and watching Bradley Chubb play for Denver so far. It's like, wow. I mean, the, the, the fantasies of Miles Garrett and Chubb paired together on either side of that defense would have been utter quarterback nightmare scenarios. Uh, they, I still think that they can find pass rush in other places. I, I found it a curious pick, too, uh, when it happened. I mean, it's the kind of thing you can kind of gauge, like in our newsroom, too, when everyone in the room gasps in surprise. It's like, that's what they did. I think no one expected that to be the pick right there um, at number four. And if it works out, um, no one will remember where he was picked. They'll just be happy. But it's still early in the process. And it's the kind of thing where, and this seems to happen to Cleveland a lot, and I'm sure other fan bases feel the same way, where you, you have a player that suddenly is going to be compared to a 
another player for the entire career because of what happened in the draft process. And I really do think, at least with Baker, unlike Denzel Ward, that I, I'm fine with, with three of these quarterbacks succeeding um, as long as if you're Cleveland, one of them is the guy you picked. And, and I, it looks up to this point that that just the um, w- what we saw in the college game, the the accuracy, the footwork, the ability to see the field despite the height, um, those have those have registered and transferred over to the NFL during these preseason games. There's a lot more that would come when he plays in a regular season game. He's going to take his lumps. I'm not sure he's the kind of guy that we have to worry about, like the box score week after week when he does start. Um, that will improve and change. And it's you know when you have uh, coaches from other teams coming up to Baker Mayfield the way that Jim Schwartz did just to, to compliment and say, you're the kind of player I would have wanted to be. I mean, other, other teams are taking notice. Uh, that's when you start to realize that these guys who have been watching tape their whole lives, they see something in Baker Mayfield that is, that is legit. Yeah, and uh, Odell Beckham was another one. Uh, you know, uh, preseason week one, he wasn't playing the game. He made his way over to go say hello. So, you know, like, you know sometimes you gather how much, you know, you take the player's opinion and other, you know, other teams' players' opinions on what they think of a guy, and it kind of shows. Uh, guys, you listen to Locked On Browns. Mark Sessler, kind enough to join us here. We've been going through, obviously, the draft class, you know, the front office acquisitions, as Mark was kind enough to join us here again, you know, for his first time since March. Guys, Locked On College up and running. Uh, everybody will be up, hopefully, by, uh, actually, if not this weekend, next weekend. So, you know, all your uh, favorite college programs, everybody's going to be up and running shortly. Go ahead, check down Locked On College, find your favorite team, get all over that. Uh, now, well, here's just a funny one, Mark, because um, we discussed Bradley Chubb, um, and then you get a return of investment of a Cam Irving trade, and you spend pick 150, and you draft a young man, and you know me and some of the guests on this, we were all high on a guy named Gennard Avery out of Memphis, and it, it, it may turn out to be something really, really special with Mr. Gennard Avery. I mean, look at the linebacker group in general. I mean, it's it's an unpleasant surprise to wake up and find out that Michael Kendricks is trending, not because of what he said about Zach Ertz on Hard Knocks, but because he's uh, been tagged in an insider trading scenario. Let's see how that plays out. Um, that's not an unserious situation. But really, just in general, with the way that this uh, defense has evolved, really at each layer, you go back a couple seasons, they had major holes in the, on the line, at the linebacker group, and certainly out back. I mean, the, I thought the secondary the past couple of years has been an absolute travesty and a reason that you can – yes, they stopped the run well last year, but they were getting gashed through the air. And I think it remains to be seen how the pass defense um, – plays this year it's it's a lot of new faces and it's you know new faces aren't necessarily uh star players and i don't know if they have that in this secondary but it does help when your line is getting decimated by miles garrett the way that he did against the eagles i mean it throws your run game and your passing game completely out of order and it's just they have not had that kind of a pass rusher i mean i was trying to think who could I even think of going back? And they had a great season from Jameer Miller way, way, way back mm-hmm. in the day. But, I mean, really, it's, it's, you can, everyone points to the quarterback, but there are various position groups in Cleveland that have been a desert for almost two decades. And having that special pass rusher is one of them. And if Miles Garrett can do it, it'll open up the rest of that entire defense to your secondary is so much better when you can get to the quarterback. So I, I look at, you know, Jannard Avery is just another piece that if they keep hitting on these draft picks, suddenly the process of going from 0-16 to a, 
you know, a competitive team that can win a couple good games. They, have, they still have to learn and grow to a team that a couple seasons from now is really competing. It's a much more realistic scenario when you're hitting on these picks versus whiffing on them. I mean, you go through that cite the pro football reference where you can look at the draft that every Cleveland's drafts over the last like 10 years and how many of the players not are not only on the Browns, just not even in the league. And it's because the front office and the coaching staff overhauled and switched so often that by the time, you know, certain players were in their third season in Cleveland, they've been through a four, three defense, a three, four defense. They have got to find a way to stick to scheme. Even if there is a coaching change ahead and that, that looms as a potential issue, they've got to find a way to not keep drafting players and then having them all asked to switch scheme and everything. That's when you're the opposite of the Patriots who have had one focus, one, you know, one type of player they're looking for since Belichick arrived in 2001. That's what the Browns should have been had all that stuff not happened. Instead, you've had two decades of chaos. They've got to find, along with finding the right players, they've got to find some consistency. I think that's why they kept Hugh Jackson for better or worse to not just start all over again with everyone they had scouted. Now, We'll see if that works out. Well, I think also part of it, and look, you know, I don't think you should be here, but I think what it is is they wanted to be able to push this product and say, look, this is who we are on offense. This is who we are on defense. Narrow down the list of names of guys who will build a staff and come and take this job and so we don't have to do this again. And maybe that's what, you know, and that might be the thing, the difference between Sashi where it's, I'm drafting great athletes that should project to be great football players, where now it's John Dorsey of, I'm going to take these chess bases and put them in the correct spots. So I, I think that's you know kind of where it's at. And, and look, even if Hughes basically just, you know, the, you know, the, the letterhead for this season, so to speak, you know, maybe that is the right way to go. Um, we're going to go one more before we let you go here, Mark. Uh, preseason okay. thoughts. Uh, passing games look good. Running games look good at times. Obviously, last Thursday night, the defense. You know, what's some things that stood out to you and some things that impressed? And, you know, because, I mean, we're headed here to week four preseason, which is, you know, we'll get to see some Baker and, you know, Baker hit Damian Ratley. I want this guy on this team. I think he gives you a Josh Gordon light, light, light kind of vibe. But give me some thoughts here on what you've seen over the first three weeks. Well, coming out of week one, I, w- I was impressed with Baker Mayfield, impressed with the passing game, impressed with some of the um, explosive plays in the later stages of that that game what i was really concerned about was just like what, what's going on with the run game and 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 really the line in general because i think that betonio has done as much as you could ever ask him to do switching to left tackle um that's not what they wanted obviously that was just not the situation they wanted to happen but if he can hold that down you know the line to me still has some issues but the running game did not disappear in the later in the later contests i mean i think we saw both Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb rip off some big runs, and they need that. I think that's sort of a team that's going to play half its half its games in junk weather and elements. Like you, that cannot disappear. You cannot let thing vanish. And so I would like to see that continue because I think Carlos Hyde. A lot of people sort of had him as the odd man out when they drafted Nick Chubb, and it's like it looks a little bit more to me like Duke Johnson's a little bit of the odd man out, which is quizzical because they just signed him to that contract too and they've really struggled I think to find a way to maximize him the way he might be on some other teams um what I what I do like in general is I I think and this is a little bit of a hard knocks thing um in the, it, but you see it in the games too is that with Todd Haley there I think it takes obviously some load off of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley has by nature just I, I 
like the freedom to really, really push these players uh, and call them out where when the head coach was running that whole show, you've got to be a little bit more of a diplomat. Um, and everyone's calling Hugh Jackson soft. And I kind of, I can see, I can see because I think it partly it's the contrast to Haley, who's just, and, and, and obviously to Greg Williams, who Greg Williams to me goes a little overboard. But with, with Haley, I really think we're going to see an offense that does not um, offer excuses Sunday after Sunday. I don't think these players will get the snaps if they're simply uh, not shining, if, he, if he's not satisfied with their effort. Um, and, I, and on the defensive side, I, I, I touched on it before, I just – I couldn't be more impressed with Miles Garrett. I think he's a, a DPOY type of guy who um, is going to uh, be a highlight reel week after week, and it's it's such a missing element for this team. Overall, there's an, with all the new faces, I think they've mixed together pretty well. And you want to come out of a game, you know, not scoring five points on or three points on offense, really, if you mix in mm-hmm. a safety. They got to find a way to sustain some drives. I think, and even in this game with Baker Mayfield when he plays on Thursday. Let's score some points. Show that you can that you can you know you're going to be playing against a lot of backups yourself. You want to see more of those explosive plays. You want to see him connecting downfield. But I really think he's in time. He's going to be doing all those things. Yeah, I mean for Baker, you're hoping look you know maybe play him four drives, score some points on three out of four of them, put a bow on it, and you know get him out of there. Mr. Rollback, go have him have a blast. The thing with Garrett and what you're starting to see now is the technique is starting to catch up to the athleticism, and forget it. It, it, it's over. I mean, and look, he's going to end up with, you know, two to three guys paying attention to him, and that's what you started to see later on in that Eagle game, and guys like Caleb Brantley and, you know, the linebackers, and it was just kind of like a free-for-all, like everybody, you know, everybody was getting their shot, and that's what, that's what happens when you have the elite of the elite pass rushers. Absolutely. It it opens up everyone else for opportunities. And, and maybe, you know, they felt that strongly about him and that, that you'd like to see Emmanuel Agba fill that role, too. And I think he's been a little quiet uh, in yeah, the preseason. It's been an odd you know? preseason for him. But the other thing is, you know, some people bring up, you know, maybe he's, you know, yes, he's ready to play, but is he 100% back from the surgery? Right. Those are things that they, you know, whether it be on HBO or just in real time, they will they will mask and hide that stuff um, from from those of us trying to gather information as be- the best they can. I just I see a draft class that like has more promise than than many before. We haven't even touched on Antonio Callaway, and I think that you know what we saw in, before he was sidelined with the with the injury that he was absolutely um, a different type of wide receiver for them. The idea that Josh Gordon could be added to this, I always feel like that's a mythical being at this point that I it just would be shocking to see him play 16 games but if you add him to that wide receiver core you know everyone was like oh well we, they got rid of Corey Coleman and then the thing happened with Cali it's like well Corey Coleman may be out of a job um, come Saturday evening when the Bills make their cuts I just think that really the, the team has finally showed an ability to self-scout a little bit which was a huge issue and the next step and I think this is where Todd Haley helps, is developing young players. That's really been missing in Cleveland, whether it's been this regime or the one previous. There just has not been that player development. And the, re- and the contrast I'd point to is a team like the Falcons that drafts, like Dorsey is wanting to do, correct pieces for the offense and defense. But then by year two, they're regular starters. By year three, they're pro bowlers. And they're going to the playoffs every year because everyone's playing in concert. That's the model. You want, you want to be able to draft guys that it's not like stunning to the fan when they thrive, that it's expected, that this is not rocket scientists. Like you should be able to draft and develop 
prime athletes to contribute to your team, which has been not happening for a long, long time. Well, I mean, prime example, when you go with the Falcons, Devontae Freeman, obviously where he was drafted, you know, Tevin Coleman, where he was drafted. And that's the thing, you know, and the thing is also, you know, ask them to do what they're comfortable in. Jabril Peppers has looked really, really good. And why? Because he plays closer to the line of scrimmage, which is what he did with Michigan. Bingo. Um, Exactly. Um, Mark, uh, as far as the show, um, obviously I know you guys are headed overseas, uh, you know, promotional tours, all this, that, and the everything. What can everybody expect from, uh, you know, the Around the uh, NFL podcast this year? So I think, you know, we're, we're essentially adding a show on one level to, uh, it's been three shows a week for half a decade, and we're going to add a Twitter show as well. Um, so we'll essentially be around on Sunday nights to keep our sort of flagship weekly review show, which is uh, up late Sunday and rides all the way through Monday. And then we'll uh, be doing a Twitter show on Tuesdays, which is live, but we'll also, there'll be a link that you can watch it after. And then we'll do shows on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, So it'll be four times a week. And we're kicking it off with this London trip, which will be, uh, we've been trying for so long to get over there because it's, it's an pretty interesting scenario but for some reason like 30 percent of our listenership is um overseas and a huge chunk in london and they're very passionate fans I, I think that they don't get the credit they deserve i think fantasy football has a lot to do with that but their knowledge is pretty insane and having met with them a couple years ago at um you know a, a bar that like 100 of these guys showed up i just had fascinating conversations with them they are all in died in the wolf football fans so we're going to go do three shows over there as well this upcoming week um that leads, leads right into the kickoff game and uh you know we we don't know the lay of the land too well so we'll see what sort of adventures uh we get up to over there but then bet then it's back here and um you know as per the name of your show locked on till essentially the super bowl and then then on then for all the rest of the stuff after so it really never ends i think there's about a two or three week period in june where everyone can unplug, but it, the idea that there's an off season is absurd at this point. It just goes on and on. Well, it depends. I mean, for me, it was a little tough when you had the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. But I mean, when you cover the league as a whole, Mark, it's <laughs> right. a little bit different. Actually, Mark, I'm going to actually DM you. Uh, I do actually have a a huge Browns guy over there across the pond, and he'd love to get you on. So I'm going to DM his info. Um, guys, sure. Mark in the NFL Network and around the NFL podcast. Uh, everybody knows him. They do fantastic work. As far as the show, Locked On Browns, guys, go ahead. We always keep it a t- uh, Twitter account, a follow-back account. Follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Guys, you've been listening to Locked On Browns, your Cleveland Browns daily podcast, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Guys, uh, you know, this one will be out shortly, so we'll probably get to you after the Week 4 game. But I appreciate everybody, and let's go Browns.